0: Welcome to Mercy Street Church Podcast. My name is Jerry Wagner, founder and lead pastor of Mercy Street Church in Dallas, Texas. Thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast. Our desire is to unleash healthy disciple makers in West Dallas to reach the world. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing to listen to new messages every week. Have a God-filled day. I've already had an eventful morning, so let me pray, and I ask you to do the same, to pray for me as I deliver the word. Sometimes preaching is easy, because all you have on your mind is the text and the people that you're preaching to. Sometimes preaching is hard, because you have the text, the people, and everything else. Amen? Amen. And I'm in that boat right now, so I just pray, ask that you will pray with me. Eternal Father, thank you so much for your grace and your love. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who died for me and died for us. You showed your love by sending your, your son to this earth, allowing him to be beaten and bruised. In fact, the Bible says in Isaiah 53 that the chastisement of our peace was upon him that we are healed because of the stripes that he endured on our behalf. And so today, Father, you gave me a great picture of what it means to worship you and to leave out all your cares at the feet of the throne. As I saw my son up here worshiping you with no care in the world, I pray that you will put that same heart in me today, that all I care about right now is to glorify you now and when I leave, that you and you alone will be exalted. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray that all the saints say, amen. Let's work out. So um, we're starting this new series called The Misunderstanding of the Kingdom. We've been talking about the kingdom and the king and his, his rulers. We've to talk about misfits. We've to talk about the moral code. We've to talk about the Messiah. But up until now, in the book of Matthew, there are still some falls there is still some unclarity in the kingdom of God. And so we want to start this new series called Misunderstanding the Kingdom as we prepare for Easter. Because the kingdom is this upside down reality. The things that we think we should be doing, the kingdom goes against that and calls us to do something else. And so today I want to jump into this misunderstanding of the kingdom. I want some audience participation on this one i'm gonna ask you a question all right and see if anybody knows this answer does anyone know what the silent killer of relationships are scream out what do you think the silent killer of okay communication (laughs) see they know (laughs) expectations right expectation, the term, come on, man. Some of y'all are married. Some of y'all are in best friend relationships. Some of y'all are in room. You know that expectations or unmet expectations are the number one killer in relationships. I have grown to love and hate that word. I love it because it gives you clear boundaries. It, It shows you how to interact with one another. I hate it because it gives you clear boundaries. And it tells you what to do. It's funny because when I think about expectations, I understand that expectations will determine the flourishing of a relationship or the frustration of it. All right, let me make it plain for some of y'all. Who's doing the dishes? Huh? All right, what about the new? Who's paying the bills? I got one that's personal. I asked them already. Who's paying the tip on the bill? I ain't going to look at them, as long as they ain't looking at me. Where are we spending Christmas at this year? Uh, uh-huh. You just got married. You don't know where you're going this year. Tension, right? Expectation. I got one for you. Mustard in the pantry or the refrigerator? <laughs> so just leave it up. <laughs> Hold on. Hold on. Let. True story. This is the true story. True story. Tamara and I were counseling a couple that was on a verge of divorce. And the reason why they were on a verge of divorce was over the expectation of mustard. The wife said that the mustard should be in the refrigerator. The husband said the mustard should be in the pantry the wife said i like it cold the husband said i like it hot all right <laughs> right warming up put it in the microwave it's in the refrigerator right then this is where it all fell apart she said to him my mama put the mustard in the refrigerator he said, my daddy put the mustard in the pantry. Instant clap back. She said, but your daddy can't cook. <laughs> he said, your mother don't brush her teeth. That one tooth. <laughs> Dude, it fell apart. They was about to get divorced. Divorced. Over mustard. I'm like, look, buy two mustards. You put one in the refrigerator, you put one in the pantry. <laughs> expectations. What is true of faulty expectations in relationship, I believe is also true of faulty uh, expectations in the kingdom of God. That's why that, when we have unmet expectation in regards to the kingdom of God, it causes us to be frustrated. And when we are frustrated, we have a misunderstanding of both the king and his kingdom. That's what I think is happening in Matthew chapter 11 all the way through 13. There are some faulty views of who Jesus the Messiah is. These faulty v- views have led to a frustration in Jesus which has caused them to expect Jesus to do something else and when you expect Jesus to do something else other than what he has been commissioned to do watch this you will always respond with disbelief and rejection all right let me let me see if I can let me see if I can make it plain one of the worst things that I think we or you all can do as it relates to Jesus is to tell him what he should or should not be doing. And yet we do it all the time. We do it. I ain't gonna go too hard. I ain't gonna go too hard. Think about this. Some of us are frustrated with Jesus right now because of some of the things he is not doing. We are frustrated with Jesus right now because he hasn't healed that. Some of us are frustrated with Jesus right now because he hasn't provided that. Some of us are frustrated with Jesus right now because he has not opened that. Whatever your blank is, that posture suggests that you have the authority to put him on the throne and to take him off when you think that you can put Jesus Christ in a box and tell him what he should be doing in your life and in this world, what you have created is your own kingdom. What you have created is your own king. What you have created is your own systems. See, you're not frustrated because Jesus isn't acting like a messiah. You're frustrated because Jesus isn't acting like your Messiah. <laughs> and you're frustrated because the expectation of the King doesn't fit the expectation of your comfort. That's why you're frustrated. I, I, I know these are hard truths. Let me see if I, let me see, I, I need to quote Show Barak. Let me see if I can bring my boy Show up. Because I think Show puts it in a very poetic way, but I think it's the truth. I haven't done this in a while, so I don't got no rap skills, so don't judge me. He says, what's your standard? What's your stand? What's your view? What gives you a right to think the way that you do? Is it school? Is it news? Is it man's re- wisdom? Is it religion? Why listen when you can make Your own decisions. It's funny how some people see the Lord. Some see him as a pacifist. Some see him with a sword. The Lord who hates sin showed grace to the thief. Saved the lonely prophet from being stoned in the street. He was holy, but he hung with the sinful. Drove out the wicked by flipping over tables in the temple. He took a wrongful death, yet he remained silent. But he said he was coming back and he's bringing violence. Many people isolate him just to make him fit into their cause, never to involve in a greater context at all. So, are there two Christs totally unrelated? Or maybe there's one and he's pretty complicated? Hmm, pretty complicated. Or maybe it is both. Or maybe it is both. <laughs> or maybe it is both. Uh. <laughs> See, here's the problem. We want to isolate Jesus to fit into our causes and not into his kingdom. We want to take this Jesus and turn him into our butler or our servant or our our political ruler so that our party will win, so that our party will go forward. And the problem with that posture is Jesus is Messiah whether you accept him or not. Jesus brought the kingdom you didn't call upon the kingdom it was Jesus who initiated putting skin on entering into time and space that he may dwell among us restoring us back into a holy relationship with a holy God so the moment you think your expectations of Jesus is based on your kingdom remember who sits on the throne And remember who is the one sitting on the right hand of the Father just waiting for the command to come back to reconcile all things to himself. So today I want to look at the misunderstanding of the kingdom because here's the danger. When you misunderstand the Messiah, you misunderstand the kingdom. When you misunderstand the king, then your expectations of the kingdom are on faulty And shaky ground. Sister Casey Hayes read the text in Matthew. And I just want to reread one verse that she read. Because I think this verse is the key to unlock everything. In verse 13, verse 11, he says, And he answered to them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given to you all those who have responded to the good news of the gospel the secrets of the kingdom have been res- given to you but to those who have not responded your discernment is lacking So i want to look at three characters I- i've taken on this big task to look at chapters 11 through 13 all right and i'm not going to preach over all the text But there are three characters in this book that I think we need to zoom in on. The first character is John the Baptist. The second character is the Pharisees. And the third character is the disciples. When you look at these three characters, all three of them have a misunderstanding of the Messiah and a misunderstanding of the kingdom. And if we can look at our brothers some of them, brothers, look at these persons and glean for them how we fall into the pitfalls of misrepresenting the Messiah and his kingdom, I think we will be better fit not to be frustrated when Jesus Christ isn't doing what you think he should be doing. Watch this. When we misunderstand the Messiah, it can lead to doubt, rejection, and also questioning his kingdom doubt rejection and questioning his kingdom let's start with doubt in matthew chapter 11 verse 2 the bible says that john the baptist is in prison all right he's in prison and while in prison he is hearing about all the things that the text says that the christ is doing in other words He uses the title Christ because he still has this expectation that Jesus is who he says he is. But the problem is he's sitting in the jail cell. Think about it. There's a disconnect somewhere. I am supposed to represent the king and I should be dwelling with him in his palace, but I am behind these prison bars that is holding me captive and it wasn't based on what I did wrong it was based on what I did right see that'll preach all by itself like sometimes you are in the situation that you're in not based on what you have done wrong but based on what you have done right and the moment you can catch on to that righteousness oftentimes it's connected to suffering, you would not think it strange when you go through various trials. But because you think faith is connected to comfort, when suffering comes, you're frustrated. Uh, I'm just using John. John is in prison and he's behind bars and he cannot reconcile who the Messiah is and the circumstances that he's going through. And so this is what John says. Because he can't get out, so he sends his disciples. He's like, Bro, I can't get out, but you need to go see this Jesus. In verse 3, it says, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Are you the Messiah, literal translation, or should we wait for somebody else? Hold on. This is John. This is John the Baptist. This is Jesus' cousin. John the Baptist was the first person to recognize Jesus while he was in his mother's womb. When Mary came towards Elizabeth, the Bible says that he kicked in joy. This is John the Baptist who who heard the voice from heaven say, this is my son who I'm well pleased with. And John is doubting whether Jesus is the Messiah. Let me throw this disclaimer out. Doubt isn't an issue. All of us go through doubt. Doubt is an awakening that causes you to to, to draw near to Jesus. When doubt is an awakening and it causes you to draw away from Jesus, then you need to know that's not of God. Your doubt should take you to Jesus. Listen, John the Baptist went to Jesus. His doubt didn't cause him to say, forget Jesus, I'm going to start my own regime, I'm going to start all of this. No, his doubt took him to the Christ. Where is your doubt taking you? If your doubt is not taking you to Jesus, watch this. It's not of the Messiah and it's not of his kingdom. Mm. <laughs> I like that. Thank you, baby. Why is John doubting Jesus? Two reasons circumstances. And the second reason that he's doubting Jesus, oh, I forgot it, drew my blood, expectation. Two things that is causing him to doubt Jesus his circumstances. And his expectation. Let's deal with circumstances because that's oftentimes the thing that's draw, that takes us away from Jesus. The moment your feelings outweigh your faith is the moment you make temporal decisions and not eternal ones. See, the moment that you empower your feelings is the moment that you empower, um, that you take your faith from. Greater to lesser. All right, let, let me make this one plain. If you are broke and you all tangled up in your feelings about Jesus being a provider. If someone gives you money, guess what happens? You get happy. You get excited. But Jesus isn't interested in your happiness He's interested in your joy. See, when you have joy, it is internal steadfastness. That's why you can see someone who is broke who is still happy. Because their brokenness is not connected to their feelings. Their brokenness is connected into their expectation that Jesus will make a way. I've never been in a position And I'm not saying this braggadocious. I've never been in a position to question Jesus when I didn't have money. You know why? Because I didn't grow up with it. (laughs) I'm like, I'm good. I know how to eat when I have $2, and I know how to eat when I have $20. Hot dogs, $2, all right, two for $20, all right, somebody (laughs) at Chili's. See, when you have a biblical perspective, when you have $2, you're like, oh, man. So hot dogs, I have this mustard that I can put on it and this ketchup. <laughs> $20, oh, baby, we living good tonight. Paul once said that he has learned how to strive in both contentment and both um, emptiness. And so one of the issues that lead us to this is circumstances. The second one is expectations. Watch this. John's expectation of Jesus was that he wanted this apocalyptic prophet. He wanted this prophet to come in and bring judgment to the nations. In fact, if you go to Matthew chapter 3, watch this. John's ministry was about repentance. John's posture was to call out the broader vipers during those days. In fact, when John talked about the Messiah coming, the words he used was that when the Messiah comes, he is going to bundle them up and throw them in unquenchable fire. See, what John wanted was judgment. What Jesus wanted was salvation. See, what we oftentimes want is judgment to be brought down? What we all oftentimes want is our life to be fair. What we oftentimes want for our life to be simple and comfortable. But Jesus says, but is that a part of the kingdom? Jesus says, I care more about your soul than your bank account, I, I, I care more about your soul than your career. I care more about how you are responding when you are in heated situations than the person who has wronged you to get you there. He said, that's what I care about. And the moment you mix up the expectation of the Messiah with your own expectation, you will be frustrated. And that frustration will lead to doubt. The type of doubt that draws you away from Jesus and not the type of dra- doubt that draws you near to Jesus. Why do we doubt Jesus? The reason why we doubt Jesus is it seems that he is not keeping his promises. That's why we doubt him. The Bible says that when Jesus came, according to John chapter 10, it says that he have come to give life, and to give it more abundantly. Isn't that what we quote all the time? Jesus has come to give us abundant life. Why am I not experiencing it then? In fact, when you have that posture, this is the way you translate it. We translate it, he came to give life, and to give it more comfortably. Not abundantly, but comfortably. My lips keep getting in the way, that's okay. They're like, comfortably, all right? Like, that's how we, and we do that to scripture. We rearrange it and we change it to fit our circumstances and to fit our expectations. Jesus said, I did come to give you life and to give it more abundantly, but on my terms, not yours. But he said he'd give us the desires of our heart. Okay. Did you take these desires to him and connect it to his will? Or did you tell him to endorse the plan that you already had? Because that's what we do, right? We Jesus, hey, man, I done mapped all this out. This is where we're going to go. This is where we're going to live or whatever. Hey, man, just, just pray over this. You said ask the Father and he knows your heart already. Just put something on that. Like we feel like the dude that does this. We want Jesus to do that to our... Hmm, that's beautiful. And when he doesn't drop the salt on your plans, you get salty because he said, that's not my plan. I'm just talking to myself. I'm not talking to you. Oh, man. And I love how Jesus responds to John. Notice how he responds to John. Jesus gives John's disciples not an answer to his question, to their question, but he points to the evidence of his kingdom. Oh, you have missed that. He didn't answer their question. He just said, look at what I'm doing. All right. Yeah, I think I'm making it up. Look at this. Verse four. He says, go and tell John what you hear and what you see. Hold on to that here and that see because it's going to come up again. Go and tell John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive the sight, the lame walks, leopards are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. See, Jesus isn't going to answer your inquiry. He's just going to point to what he's already done in your life. Like, like, Jesus isn't going to get caught up in you interrogating him on his throne, in his kingdom. He's going to say, look at your life. Has there been transformation there? Have I exercised grace and mercy even when you were wrong?" Have I provided for you even when you wasn't qualified? Did I open doors that other people used to shut? Look at your own life and see that I am the Messiah. He's pointing to what he's doing. And I say this often on this stage, and I think it is very real, and is a very real truth in my heart. Look at what Jesus had did in the past. Because it is a picture and a foreshadow of what he would do in the present. He is a promise keeper. And I know some of you all are making hard decisions. Don't hear me minimize your decision. All I'm saying is, know that Jesus has you. He has never forsaken you. He has never left you. And when he did allow you to walk into the storms of life, when you got through it, wasn't he the one carrying you through? Wasn't it he that had the shelter over you? Was it not Jesus who has sustained your mind when you were ready to go insane with his scriptures? Doubt should lead you to Jesus, not away from him. When we misunderstand the kingdom sometimes it leads to doubt, but here's the second thing: when we misunderstand the Messiah, it can also lead to rejecting his kingdom. Ah, oh, this one is a hard one right here. I, I listen. I have spent so many hours trying to figure this out in the, in the sermon, and 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 I can't I can't say I have it pinned down yet. But what I do see in chapter twelve is the Pharisees hate Jesus. They are religious leaders who have been given the word of God. They are religious leaders who have been given access to the tabernacle of God. And yet, when God shows up, they reject him. This is a hard text to kind of parse because oftentimes the people that reject God the most are religious folks. It is those who profess to have faith. How is it that you believe in God before you put your faith in Christ? But the moment you put your faith in Christ, all hell breaks loose. All hell breaks loose. Jesus is looking at this, and the Pharisees are about to entrap Jesus On the Sabbath. right? watch this. Verse 1 and 2 says, At that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. In other words, you all are breaking the law. You are lawbreakers, Jesus. See, the reason why they're doing this is because the way that you act and the way that you respond. That's the first allegation. The second one is in verse 9. Watch this. He went from there and entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? All right, let me see if I can break this down. Why do the Pharisees hate Jesus so much? Like, why are they after his throat? Why are they after his life? Why are they seeking and trying to find ways to destroy him? I tell you why. The Pharisees are threatened by Jesus because Jesus threatens their security, their prestige, and their power. Uh, Yeah, See, this, this one is a good one, right? Oftentimes, the reason why we reject Jesus is because he, he, he threatens our security. He, he, he threatens our comfortability. Like, I'm not going to take that position, or I'm not going to move in that neighborhood, or I'm not going to do um, this because I'm not secure there. All right, let me, let me dig deeper. Let me go relationship. The reason why you don't cross over in culture is because you don't want to be faced with your own reality. The reason why there is oftentimes tension between white and black is because the idol of identity oftentimes comes up. This is the way you should do things. This is the way you should wear things. This is the way you should walk. This is the way you should act. And oftentimes it's coming from a one-sided culture. Jesus is rocking their security and their prestige and their power. Their status. If Jesus would have come and been a political messiah, if he would have came and did all the laws and regulations of the Pharisees, they would have accepted him and watch this, they would have had power in their kingdom, not his. Not his. And you know what we call that? Legalism. Legalism. When your don'ts outweigh your do's, you will reject both the image of God and the person of God. When what you want to do outweighs what God wants you to do towards him and towards others, when you look at image bearers of God, you will reject them. Watch this. Remember what the two issues was on the Sabbath. The Sabbath, on this particular time, there was a person who was hungry and there was a person who needed to be healed. Notice the need. The question that's on the table is, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? Is it lawful to feed someone when they are hungry? Is it lawful to heal someone when they are have a withered hand? See, when you walk in life, you have to ask yourself the question, Am I doing this to glorify God? Am I doing this to make sure I fit in my legal requirements of the Sabbath? See, the Pharisee had created 95 different laws in the Mishnah. And what the Mishnah uh, required was to domesticate what it means to rest on the Sabbath. And what they were concerned about, not with the people which the Sabbath was made for, They were more concerned about the law and how they can attain it. And oftentimes Jesus referred to them as hypocrites. When you reject and fall into the banner of legalism, you will reject God's image. But watch this. You will also reject God's person or his Messiah. All right. Let me show you a scripture. Um, Matthew chapter 12 verses 22 through 32 most of you all are familiar with this passage oftentimes this passage is referred to as the blasphemy of the holy spirit all right y'all familiar with this text and in this text one of the things that stifles people is verse 31 where it says therefore i tell you every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people but the blasphemy against the holy spirit will not be forgiven And whoever speaks a word against the son of man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in this age to come. What on earth is Jesus talking about? You mean if I speak against Jesus, if I speak out against the Holy Spirit, that I will receive no forgiveness of sin? If that was true, how many people in here will be disqualified? See, I didn't ask you to raise your hand. <laughs> People are like, I, right? I cussed him out before I came in here. <laughs> See, I'm tired of this car breaking down. I'm still mad at him. Talking about go to this church that is 30 miles away. Like, I wasn't talking to you, right? <laughs> that was a rhetorical question. Stop participating so much. <laughs> Let me break down what this passage means as it fits in regards to the misunderstanding of the kingdom. First, remember what Jesus said to John, the disciples, go and tell John what you have heard and seen. The Pharisees have heard and seen the mighty works of Jesus. He has laid them out to them. In fact, In order for us to even respond to Jesus, the Bible says unless the Spirit draws a person, he cannot go to the Father. See, when God does mighty works in front of you and reveals himself to you, he is gracing you with the illumination of the Spirit so that you may respond. So here's the problem. They have saw all that Jesus Christ had offered and they rejected Him. Watch this. They had the Word of God, which means God's revelatory Word, they rejected Him. They had the Son of God who showed up to save His people, and they rejected Him. The only thing you can do next is reject the Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit who draws you near. And the moment you reject the Holy Spirit is the moment you reject The Godhead as a whole. That's what's going on in the text. This has nothing to do with their words. It has everything to do with the posture of their heart. There is coming a day when Jesus Christ is going to come back. And the worst sin on earth is not any act of sin that a person can do. It is disbelief. There is no healing. There is no remedy for disbelief in God. When you get to a point of legalism, when you get to a point of your own kingdom, when you get to a point of your own idols, what you would do is not only reject the people of God. Watch this. You will also reject the person of God. That's what's going on in this text. The Sabbath is not simply a non-work day. But an active worship day. It is not just you finding rest on a particular day. It is you finding rest in Jesus. It is not just you, you, you putting everything on the side and saying, I ain't doing nothing today. This is how I'm going to worship Jesus. No, it is you resting and contemplating in the presence of God. That's what's going on in this text. And finally, when we misunderstand the Messiah, it can lead to questioning the method of the kingdom. I like that one. I I like that one. And the reason why I like that one is that's the number one thing we do all the time is question the method of Jesus. We oftentimes are suggesting to the creator of the universe what he should do best, how he should handle our lives, how he should handle this situation. Right? We always question the method of Jesus. For example, I make it personal for myself. I wanted to live in this house across Westmoreland that was in Ledbetter. The reason why I wanted to live there was because the yard was huge and it showed that I had came up. The problem is I didn't have the money to afford it. Nor could I keep on, up on the taxes with the money that I had at that time. And man, I threw the worst tension tampon on earth. I said, I'm a child of the king. I remember telling this, brother, I'm a child of the king. The king's supposed to take care of his, um, his children. The king is supposed to do all these things or whatever. Man, and, I, and one of my friends said to me, you don't sound like a king's kid right now. You do sound like a spoiled kid, but not a king's kid right now. Sometimes we sound more like a spoiled kid than a king's kid. And when we see his methods not acting out the way that we think he should do, we start questioning. Look at the disciples. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 13 that Jesus Christ was speaking in parables, right? And the word parables comes from the Greek word parabole, all right, which is made up of two Greek words. I got to give you this. One, alongside, and balo, which means to throw, it simply means that you take a physical story and throw a spiritual reality alongside of it. They are designed to be simple, they are designed to be memorable, and they are designed to to help the commoners process this, right? The problem is, the disciple says, Jesus, your methods are too complex right watch what they say in verse 10 why do you speak to them in parables and he answered them to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven but to them it has not been given to them in other words Jesus why are you making this hard to understand anybody there (laughs) <laughs> can I, I you can participate now any, any, anybody there? some of y'all are like, oh no, you ask Jesus, oh why are you making this so complicated? why Why are you not communicating in, in, in simple, clear forms of communication? Watch this. Their expectation was that Jesus would make it simple for the head, but Jesus' expectation that he would make it simple. For their heart. See, you want Jesus to make it simple for your own logical processing. But Jesus says, I'm not concerned about your head. I'm concerned with your heart. Let me say it another way. Jesus is not concerned with your symptoms. Jesus is concerned with the root issues that you are going through. See, as Lewis once said, he never wanted to tell his mother that he had a toothache. And he says, the reason why I don't want to tell my mother um, that I have a toothache is because she will send me to the dentist. And if I go to the dentist, he's going to drill deeper into my tooth and make it hurt worse. He says, all I want is a painkiller to numb the pain. But the dentist wants to remove the decay that I'm experiencing. See, some of us just want God to numb the pain. But Jesus says, I want to deal with the root issue of your heart. See, some of us want God to remove the circumstances so that we don't have to endure the symptoms that we are enduring. But Jesus says, no, I want to change your heart because I'm not just interested in the fruit of the plant. I want to kill the seed itself. I want to kill the seed itself. Why do you think you keep going back to the things over and over and over again? Because you are dealing with surface issues and not heart issues. Jerry, you're making this up. Okay, watch this. (laughs) Jesus says to them, he gives them the why. Why is he speaking to them in parables? And he says in verse 12, bear with me on this one. For to the one who has more will be given... And he will have abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Why, Jesus? Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. He's going to quote an Old Testament scripture. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. That saying, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. Why? This is the key right here. Why? For the people's heart has grown dull. Do you think they do not understand because the information is complicated? Do you think they do not um, um, see because Jesus isn't revealing himself to them? Jesus said, that's not the issue. The issue is the dullness of their heart. You know why you're not walking in clear discernment of what Jesus Christ is doing in your life? Check your heart. You may be building your kingdom plans and not his kingdom plans. And when his kingdom plans is overran by your kingdom plans, that's a heart issue. That's a heart issue. The disciples are concerned with the head. Jesus said, I'm concerned with the heart. Stop worrying yourself on what the future look like and be present in the reality of the kingdom now. The cares of the world will take care of themselves because there's a God who loves you and values you. When we misunderstand the kingdom, oftentimes it brings doubt, Rejection and questioning of his methods. So how do we avoid this pitfall of the kingdom? How do we avoid not falling victim to this? Before I answer that question and give you my final point, I want to say this. Misunderstanding of the kingdom at its core is rooted in unbelief of the Messiah. Misunderstanding of the Messiah at his core, and his kingdom is rooted, watch this, rooted in unbelief. Remember, we already looked at the Pharisees. The reason why the Pharisees uh, cannot be forgiven of their sins is because they refuse to believe in the person and the work of Jesus. That's one. In fact, in chapters 11, Jesus rebuked these cities to reason and Bethsaida and Capernaum he says I rebuke these cities and I denounce your existence why because the mighty works that I have done you have not responded and repented of and here's the last one just to drive home this point in chapter 13 the last place that Jesus goes to is his own hometown and in his own hometown, the Bible says that he was not able to do mighty works there. You know why? The last verse says, because of their unbelief. You know why you're not experiencing the flourishing of the kingdom? It's not because Jesus hasn't drawn near to you. It's not because Jesus hasn't made himself simple to you. It's because of your unbelief that he will do what he said he would do. So how do we overcome this? Well... Here's my proposition. Choose to believe the Messiah and his kingdom plan. Choose to believe the Messiah's kingdom plan. I got two movements for this. How do you do this? The first thing is to hear. To hear with your ears. Some people are like, what are you doing? Just hear, all right? I know you're hearing the babies, but that's okay. Let those parents live, all Right? <laughs> you can listen, all right? The first thing is to hear. Three times Jesus uses this tag. He who has ears to hear, watch this, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's say it together. He had. Let him hear. You know what that means? When God reveals himself to you, respond in obedience. When God reveals himself to you, respond in obedience. The word here comes from the Greek word akuo, right? Akuo is a word that tells you to respond in obedience. When Jesus tells you to do something, do it. When Jesus directs your life to go left and you want to go right, that's disobedience. Go in the direction that Jesus has commissioned you. If he is the one who orders your steps, Why wouldn't you follow in the footsteps of the light of the world? Respond. Jesus said, you have seen the kingdom. You have seen my mighty works. And all those who have an ear to hear should respond in obedience. Here's the second one. Come and take. Come and take. I love this verse. And most of us remember this verse. Matthew says this. He says, in verse 28, he says, come to me all who are labored and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, When I reveal myself to you, he says, come. That's what we call an invite. He says, come. And when you come to me, take upon yourself me. It doesn't take away the burdens, but it does ease it. It doesn't take the yoke from you, but you don't have to carry it by yourself. He says, come to me. All those who are heavy laden, he said, and I will give you rest. How many of us are tired? Tired of going through the rat race of life. Tired of getting the same thing over and over and over again. What Jesus said, if you're tired, come to me and I'll give you rest. If you're tired, read my scripture and it will revitalize you to persevere. If you're tired, take upon yourself me and all that I have done because I have overcome the world. And because I have overcome the world, so can you. There's too many people walking around frustrated at the king because they have an unmet expectation of his kingdom. But Jesus says, do you want the secret of the kingdom? He says, respond in obedience and follow me. If you're not a follower of Jesus here, please don't leave this place the same way that you came in. And if you are a follower of Jesus, and you are wrestling through some of these things that these brothers have wrestled through, my words to you is simply this. Choose to believe that God is faithful, and that the same God yesterday is the same God today and the same God forever. Let us worship together. Thank you again for listening to Mercy Street Church Podcast. Until we meet again, shalom.